Um, let's begin with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in, in giving us um, not only uh, life and uh, the blessings of life, but that you've actually revealed to us who you are. And we praise you for that. We praise you that we can know who you are. And we thank you very much also that, you're, that you teach us who we are. We don't know ourselves, Lord. And so we pray that you would please continue to open our eyes to who we are uh, so that we may walk in newness of life um, in the hope that we have in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, uh, Last time, as I said, we met just a couple of weeks ago, so what that means is that we're a little bit, uh, we need to get a little caught up again. Now this is First uh, Peter, so if you've been with us, First Peter, our theme is uh, suffering, trusting, and doing what is right. And in this, our theme verse uh, from chapter 4, verse 19, therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So we've been talking about how suffering and doing what is right and entrusting ourselves to God all come together to, um, to uh, let us understand where we are right now and what God has for us right now. Uh, if you uh, think about what we did last time, we talked about particular relationships, having in the first couple of chapters set out the reality of who we are. We have an inheritance. We have a hope. That hope isn't seen yet because we, although we had a feudal way of life passed on from our forefathers, now we're born again of God. And so now we are new, but we're still living among those who live in the feudal, right? And we still are putting to death the things that belong to that old way of life. And so we have this, um, this time now that is suffering. It's suffering from our own sin and from the sin of others. And so how do we deal with other people? Well, then in the in chapter, middle of chapter two, he launched into how we deal with um, submitting ourselves or what's our relationship to external things like the government, like uh, our employers, people who are outside of our homes. So how do we deal with them? And the, the basics of it were that we were to submit ourselves to government and employers, even if they're unjust. And that's the major point. It, it doesn't really matter whether they're just or unjust. God has called us to submit to them. And what will happen as we continue to entrust ourselves to God, as we work out the deeds that we're called to do, what that will do is actually to silence all the slander of those who speak against us and also perhaps even win them to Christ. That's, the, that's God's will for them. And so we don't want to suffer for doing wrong, right? We can obviously suffer for just doing bad things, but that's not what we're called to do. We're so, called to suffer according to the will of God because that finds favor with God. And then he gives us a powerful reminder that what that means is we need to imitate Jesus, right? He has, he's set an example for us, so we're to follow in his example. And not only that, but he has given us power because of the actual work that he's done. He's given us power so that we can do this. So to boil this all down, it's that we submit ourselves to those who God has put under us, whether they're just or not just, that we, if, if we do suffer, that it's for, according to God's will, and we have someone that we can look to, Jesus Christ, as an example to do this. So now what he's going to do is in the first part of chapter 3, run through this exact same parallel, but now what he's going to do is talk more within the family, 
within our uh, own birth families, right? Our families that include the people we live with and the family of God. But he's going to use this exact same uh, par- this exact same format. Okay, so here's uh, today's passage, First Peter three one through eighteen, and it's going to be a little longer today because we have to make up a little bit for our miss last time. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So, Matthew Henry, as he starts this section uh, in his commentary, says, every distinct relation has its particular duties which ministers ought to preach and the people ought to understand. And as I said in our, our prayer, you know, the problem is we don't understand ourselves. That's what sin does. We don't understand ourselves at all. But the Lord gives us his word so that we can understand ourselves. And this first um, passage is for wives, particularly now re- looking in the context, what you see, particularly this is for li- wives who are living with unbelieving husbands, with um, those who are, it says, disobedient to the word. But those who aren't in the church, you know, that's the main context, the main flow of this. Although we'll see that it does apply, many of the things apply, whether you have uh, an unbelieving husband or a believing husband. But 
Um, in the case of uh, if you have a, a husband who's not a believing husband, doesn't even make any proclamation to it, and is disobedient to the word, then what the Lord does is to show us what is the right way to, uh, wives, what's the right way to approach a husband like that. And it's, um, his, his desire is that he would be one without a word. You know, I think the, in the bigger flow of what he's talking about here, this is just um, a teaching to wives. You have to understand your own heart. What you want to do is fundamentally to control your husband, right? I mean, that is the reality of it. That goes back to the curse. And so there's always this thing in you that you think, you know, I have power and the power I have is my word. But notice what it says here. If you have a husband who's disobedient to the word of God, do you think your word is going to accomplish more? Well, yeah, you do, right? That, that's, why you, that's why you continue to speak, because you do think that your word is going to accomplish more, because your word is powerful. Um, you know, you know that you can control your husbands the way that you speak. Absolutely. You just admit it. We'll all be honest here. You can control your husbands in the way you speak, but you can, and you can accomplish your will with the way you speak, but you cannot accomplish God's will with the way you speak in this context, right? Because what God has, if God's word is not powerful enough, your word certainly isn't powerful enough. What, what you have to do is something that takes faith because faith in God's word is the only thing that's going to accomplish anything in a situation where a man has just denied the word of God. The only hope you have is God, right? You don't have any hope in yourself. And so what do you do by faith? Well, everything that God calls us to do by faith requires us doing something that looks pretty stupid. What's the most stupid thing you can do to try to change your husband? Well, kind of just be quiet, right? That doesn't seem to make any sense, but that is exactly the truth. The truth is that what God says is that Uh, and we also know this is true, that anyone who's an unbeliever, they love to scrutinize anything that that a believer does, um, looking for any form of hypocrisy, right? And so, but the truth of the matter is that if you live a godly life in such a way that you live in hope, in trusting God, that's gonna show them that there is actually a God because if you say, believe in God, but you take everything into your own hands, what you're really saying is there is no God. But when you really release things to God, that means that you trust that there is a God. You place your hope in another place, a place where there is a God, and God is the one who is going to accomplish this. Science, that kind of silence requires faith, okay? Now, this isn't a blanket statement. One of the things that, as as we as a church try to acknowledge this, which is so anti uh, culture, so completely anti-culture, and we want to try to live this way. Um, you know, we're going to tend to maybe do things or c- take it to a place where it's not really supposed to go. Now, what this notice what this doesn't say is that wives should never say anything. Um, we don't want to have this as a, this isn't a blanket statement. First of all, submission, like for instance, when we talked last week, nobody would have ever said being submissive to your boss means, well, my boss told me to embezzle And so, you know, I had to do that. No, nobody says that. That doesn't even make any sense. We know what it means to submit to an unjust boss. It doesn't mean to do what is wrong in God's sight. It doesn't mean to sin. And submitting to your husband, similarly, does not mean to sin. 
um, submitting to him doesn't mean that you should do what is wrong because the whole point is that you're placing your trust in God. So you're not gonna sin against God. And it's the same way with, um, with speaking. Now, uh, when you, you, there is definitely a place for believing hus- for uh, wives to speak to their husbands and that is a good thing. In fact, that's one of the huge blessings of having a wife. If you take this passage to mean that as a husband, that, well, what this means is that I don't want my wife to say anything. If that's how you've developed your household, you're an idiot, right? You're an idiot because God made two one, right? He made two one. And half, half of me is my wife. And God speaks a lot of good things through my wife. Um, anyone who, uh, you can talk to any, anyone here uh, who has any role in any kind of leadership, we always want to listen to what our wives have to say because they have so many important things. They see things we don't see, and those are, the, those are things we need. However, that doesn't mean that this has no meaning, right? Because there are, there are a lot of times where this, even though you have a believing husband, your husband is disobedient to the word still, right? There are many times when I'm uh, in sin and my wife says something, I want her to say something to me in those cases. And of course I respond the way I always should, which is to say, yeah, you're, you're not right. I, I know, right? I, I, I'm sure, you know, I, I get defensive. That's what happens. So, what should you do as a wife? Should you continue to push on that? No, let, let that go. Eventually what the Lord does, um, in, in my experience mainly, is after a while I come to the place where I realize, yeah, you know what, I think Emily was right in that. And, and the Lord, but in faith you can trust that the Lord will work through your good, through true submission and true deference. And that's the key. The key is not not saying anything. The key is true deference. And deference means that you can humbly go to your husband and you can say things that are true for his lo- loving benefit. I mean, that's what husbands want, loving the loving benefit of their wives. But to do that in deference means that you don't nag, right? That's what it comes down to. You, you, there is a time to entrust yourself to God with this because you can't believe that your word is more powerful than God's work. It's a work of faith. And this is a huge work of faith for, uh, for wives in general. Sometimes what it means is you, just, you go to your husband and he is doing something maybe not sinful, but just kind of stupid. And if he's doing something kind of stupid, you can, in deference, go to him, but he might continue on his stupid path. And the faith you have to have in that case is you have to allow him to fail, right? That's scary, very scary to allow him to fail in these things. But what that means is that you're entrusting yourself to God, right? He's gonna do some things that aren't gonna work out for the best. But if you entrust yourself to God, then how is that ever gonna fail you? Really, I mean, do you think that's gonna fail you if you entrust yourself to God? in some of his weird ideas. No, it won't. Now, if they're sinful and wrong, again, just to emphasize that again, if they're sinful and wrong, then you need to oppose because that, that man is also, every husband here is also under authority and those authorities have to take charge of those situations. But in deference, what you can do is to place your faith. The act of deference is an act of faith. 
Um, now, there's another way that wives will tend to uh, try to uh, control their husbands. Another main way is with what you wear, for instance. Um, and every wife knows that this also is very effective. You can accomplish a lot based on external things, but you cannot accomplish the will of God. You cannot accomplish the will of God. You can, do, you can accomplish things that you want, but you can't accomplish the will of God. And so we see here in this passage um, something that's all about your adornment. Okay, so what does it mean to adorn? And I had to look that up because I wanted to see, you know, exactly what is, what is that? What is that? Yes, and, and particularly, um, it's to make more beautiful something that's beautiful. Like when you decorate something, you decorate a cake because it's not very beautiful, and so you have to put something nice on it to make it look beautiful. But to adorn something is to make something already beautiful more beautiful. And that is, that is um, very useful if you want to manipulate your husband. You can do things like that it's in all sorts of different ways. It's through uh, a lot of external things. But those external things... Uh, are not, again, accomplishing God's way. They can accomplish your way, but not his. And so, uh, so what, do we, what are we called to do as wives? What are you called to do? In, you're called to adorn yourself in a particular way. It's easy to approach this passage, uh, as Pastor Bailey has been talking about in sanctification, as we learn what sanctification is, very easy to approach any passage legalistically or antinomian or licentiously. But sanctification requires something more than this. Legalists are going to approach the externals and keep it at the externals. Someone who is licentious or someone who wants to just deny the law will say, no, 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 that's not right. It's all about the internals, as if the internals had no connection to the externals. But the law of faith is that, and and those who are sanctified, it it starts with the internal, but the internal affects everything that comes out. And so there's not one or the other, but it's the right direction. So for instance, in this passage, uh, even people like the commentary, a great commentary by Matthew Henry. I mean, so what does he say about this? Um, Your adornment should not, oh, first of all, even the uh, NAS does this, should not be merely, you know why that's italicized, right? Because that's not there. That was stuck in there to give it a little, little boost, because sometimes God's word needs a little bit of a boost, because it doesn't quite come out the way we want it to. Um, And so what this actually says is your adornment must not be external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. And so what Matthew Henry says is, okay, well, we got to explain that, because, you know, back at the time the apostle Peter was writing braided hair, that was because prostitutes did that. And wearing gold jewelry, well, sure, you know, Esther and Rebecca and some other godly woman, women wore gold jewelry. But at the time Peter was writing, wearing gold jewelry, that was prostitutes. And wearing dresses, they shouldn't put on dresses. Actually, what that means is you shouldn't put on costly dresses, right? You shouldn't put on expensive dresses. So there are all these, like, ex- these things. And it's very easy to get caught into that, right? We want a list. It's just human nature, especially kind of uptight Christian nature, which we are, uptight Christian nature to want a list. Okay, so I can't braid my hair. Now, I can do other things with my hair, but I can't braid my hair. Much silver jewelry as I want, but not gold jewelry. And costly dresses. Everybody knows what a costly dress is. It's the dress that I can't afford. That's a costly dress. (laughs) So here is my list of all these things. And so if we just come up with the right list, we're going to be able to be godly. 
And then people reject that, right, and say, oh, yeah, but see, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about any of those things. I mean, sure, it's in the text, but he's not actually talking about those things. He's talking about just the internal part, and the internal part is what really matters. Um, But let's notice here what this says and what this doesn't say. What this doesn't say is you should not wear braided hair and gold. What, what is this? You're, it's about your adornment. The whole point here is how do you beautify yourself? That is, it's not a list of what you can and can't wear, but it's the nature of it is your adornment. And why are you trying to adorn yourself in the first place? In this passage, you're adorning yourself to win your husband. Because it turns out that men love beautiful things especially beautiful women, right? And as a wife, you can adorn yourself in such a way that you can win your husband. Now, how are you going to do that? Are you going to do that externally? Or are you going to do that internally? It's not a matter of external. Now, if, if that is, if you're, if you're, uh, if you, this passage is about the internal, which is what? It's about how you adorn yourself. Let's talk about that first. How do you, what does this passage say about how you adorn yourself? What do you put on? A quiet and gentle spirit. You, in fact, this seems, when you adorn yourself, how, how, many, how many of you adorn yourself with invisible jewelry? That seems like it's kind of stupid, right? But that's exactly what he calls us to do here, to adorn yourself in the hidden inner man. Adorn yourself with something hidden, wow. That doesn't seem like that's going to work out. But by faith, we know that that's exactly what works out. The only way that you can adorn yourself is in the hidden inner man. And you do it with something that is imperishable, something that can't ever fade away, and more than that, something that's precious to God. What are the other things in, in the book of First Peter that are precious to God? You remember those? Pop quiz? The blood of Christ is precious to God, right? The blood of Christ. It's, always, it's the things that last forever. Those are the things that are precious to God. And do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that a quiet and gentle spirit is precious to God? It doesn't seem precious in our world. And it doesn't really accomplish much of anything. In fact, it's pretty much to be hated. But the reality is that it's precious to God and that makes it beautiful. And what will, what will happen is that God will do something in that. You know, God will open the eyes of a husband to the beautiful, quiet spirit, the gentle spirit, and he'll accomplish much. But it takes faith, right? It takes faith. It's not a matter of um, being legalistic, but it does actually come out, right? Sanctification means it comes out. So when you put on your external stuff, how does your quiet and gentle spirit come out? Because it will affect the things that you put on too. It'll affect the out- outer things. And so that's, it's, the outer things are good in the sense that it shows us more about our inner self, right? So if you see that you're putting on a lot of things in order to draw attention and you can see that in your own conscience, then you know that there's a problem inside. And that inner problem has to be addressed first and that inner problem can only be addressed by faith because you're putting on invisible stuff in order to attract people.
that's going to be rough unless you do that by faith. Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, that's very, de- okay, so the question is, how do you know, so when should a wife appeal to a higher authority over her husband, under what kind of situations? That's a very difficult one. I think that um, your general principle is, if he sins, and so um, if he sins in, in a lot of typical ways, uh, that you should appeal to him first. What ha- when you should appeal is when his heart, heart has become so hard against a sin that he, he has rejected it over and over again. Um, then he needs help, right? I mean, he needs help because once a man's heart starts to go that hard, he needs help from someone. And that might not even be a dis- discipline case exactly, right? But that might be something where still a pastor needs to uh, know that and be able to address that because of repeated, repeated to the point where he uh, is dulled in conscience. Can I give you a particular, now there, I don't know that there's a particular number of times or a particular, yeah. Right, right. Yes, very good. So now let's move to the next one. So that's like in matters of, of maybe com- common ordinary sin. Okay, like outburst of anger. Now, when you break into something that's not just sinful, but that's also illegal, okay, so there's two different things there. You can, you can sin without doing something illegal. But if you sin in a way that's illegal, like it's one thing if I have an outburst of anger, but it's another thing if I have an outburst of anger and I assault you, then that's a crime, right? So things that rise to the level of crimes should be reported. You should definitely talk to somebody about anything that's a crime. So uh, any kind of sexual abuse, any kind of um, uh, violence or assault, anything that involves uh, doing things that are uh, illegal in any way. I don't want to try to go into every single thing. But if they're illegal, then it requires something outside of you. Anyone want to add to that or rebut that? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so, that, so in some senses, we, we can't use everything purely as what is illegal in our society because things that are illegal in our society, especially going into the future, might not be uh, illegal. Yeah, so, so how, how do we do that? Or what keeps wives away from doing this? I think the primary thing he hits on right here, another great quote from Matthew Henry is, <laughs> uh, at this point, um, The duties of Christian wives, being in their nature difficult, the apostle enforces them by example of Sarah. And so that's why I think that he goes through such an extensive list here. It's because Christian wives have a difficult, this is difficult. And what he does here is to bring out how difficult it is, but to appeal back to Sarah and to say, remember, I mean, she also, she just took up and went off with her crazy husband. You know, hey, (laughs) you know what? God talked to me today. He told me, let's go someplace like thousands of miles away. I bet Sarah was like, wow, that sounds a great idea. Um, 
But instead, what she did was, I mean, she submitted herself to that. And she, uh, in fact, called him Lord. And to call him Lord is to truly, in deference, submit yourself. And when you can do that with your husband, but what opposes that? I mean, what opposes that primarily for a woman is fear. Um, women, uh, all, all men and women are, are susceptible to fear to one degree or another, but it is a particular sin of women um, to be afraid. And fear is going to uh, cause, it, it is the sworn enemy of faith, right? Faith and fear, incompatible to fear other things. You can either fear God in faith or you can fear anything else. And everything else will cause you to w- walk away from God. So this, this fear is, um, is what we're, we're called, again, by faith to overcome. And in many cases, uh, you have rooted fears that come from many, many years and they are not easy to overcome. But by God's grace, he does sanctify us in, in uh, our fears. Um, and just because we're <laughs> getting so far behind here. Now, what about husbands? Um, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Uh, in, this, in this passage, we see that the apostle Peter now uh, is going to look at um, in, in our uh, next section with husbands, the, uh, guarding against possible excesses of what uh, happens here. Because if you just had that section, what would tend to happen would be that a man would act out in his own sinful way in the way a man acts, which would be to do things like in submission to um, not understand a woman's weakness, to not understand her fears, to not take those things into consideration, to not consider the fact that she is the weaker vessel, and to just drive her. Because my goal as a man, God has made me to accomplish things. And if I have a tool and I need to accomplish something, I'll use it till it breaks if I have to, right? But that's not what we do, right? That is not what we do. We instead live with our wives in an understanding way, knowing that she is delicate. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to take a delicate instrument and use it, to, use it as a hammer, right? I need to understand the weakness of my wife in order to understand the things that are difficult. Things that are not difficult for me are difficult for her, and understanding that they're difficult allows me to have patience. Um, and now, this, this is, I mean, I think this is about one of the most extremely offensive passages that you can have, because what is, what is it exactly that causes the woman to be weaker, according to this passage? The fact she's a woman, right? I mean, what that means is that being a woman means that you are weaker. Uh, it's just inherent within what God has created you to be. And uh, that's, that's difficult for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's difficult because uh, it just is so offensive to everything we're being taught by the world. But number two, it's difficult because it's hard to see that by faith because when I look around, it doesn't really look to me like women are weaker than men. I mean, you know, I, there are a ton of very strong women in this church. This is, it's not like, uh, like a, I don't know, a, a situation where they're just, everyone's just, all the women are just so dainty and can't really do anything and they need to be helped along with everything. That's, but that's not what this passage is talking about. And also the problem really is not that, it doesn't, notice here, it doesn't say women are, are weak. They, it says they're weaker than men. The reason that we don't look out and see that today is not really a problem with the women, 
right? Why is it that women are not weaker than men? The men are not stronger than the women. That is the problem, right? We live, if, if in the, the revolt against sexuality today is to the core in, uh, um, inherent way that God's made us. So what we do in the sin of effeminacy, which is just totally so part of our culture, you don't even see it, it's just to, to make sure that I'm not stronger than a woman. It's to be as weak as I can be, to make sure that rather than being stronger, look, I'm no stronger than a woman. And that is the sin that is really at the heart here. That's why we can't see this by faith, but God has called us as men to be stronger. So the very first thing that you need to be doing is preparing yourself in such a way that you are actually stronger than your wife. That is very difficult, right? Because our wives are very strong. So we need to be stronger and we need to be able to do the things that are necessary that they can't do because we're actually stronger. Uh, Next, the other thing that it's gonna guard against that the Apostle Peter guards against is that we show her honor. Uh, if, If she's submissive to us, then what that means is that she's second rate. Well, that's not true, right? What we see here is not only is she, we, are we to treat her as someone who uh, is weaker, but we're also supposed to treat her as a fellow heir, as a fellow heir, equal to us, men and women equal before God, what? As his children. That's the point of being, this, of being heirs. And if she's an heir, what that means is that in a more eternal sense for this world, a relationship that we have is that we're man and wife. But what is our eternal relationship? There is no marriage in heaven, right? What is our relationship in heaven? Brother and sister, we are fellow heirs. And so how are you treating your wife? Do you treat your wife like a sister? You know, I, what is that? What do you think God thinks about the way you treat his daughter? Uh, Michael Foster wrote one time about, you know, I love my boys and my girls, but there's just something really precious about daughters. And I feel the same way. I grew up all boys, so I, I didn't know anything about this, but now having daughters and, and sons, there is something precious about daughters. Now, what, what do you think about, what do you think God is going to do with how you treat his daughter? Not just how you treat your wife, of course, you know, that's true, that's a relationship, but how do you treat his daughter? Why do you think your prayers might be hindered if you don't treat her as a co-heir? It's because he's her father. And this is what men are called to do. Be strong and treat her as a sister because that is an eternal relationship. Now, how do we... How do we do this? Um, you know, this is something that is, of course, extremely challenging, but it's something that we're going to be in all of our lives, not just, brother, not just uh, husbands and wives, but all of our relationships all around. To sum it up, everything he's talked about so far, we're, we are to be harmonious and sympathetic. We're to live together in humility. And whenever we are persecuted, whenever we are insulted, to act like Jesus and to speak back a blessing And what's the basis of that? Why would we speak a blessing to somebody who curses us? It's because we want them to be blessed because we've been blessed. We have an inheritance. We have, for this very purpose, we were called so that we could inherit a blessing, 
Remember, that's been, that's the whole first chapter and a half he talked about this blessing and he's calling us back to that blessing. To be able to do that, we have to be able to understand that we live before God and those who do what is righteous, even in the midst of any kind of unjust treatment, whether your husband is a jerk and treating you that way, whether your wife is a shrew and she's treating you that way, no matter what it is, that you live before God and you can entrust yourself to God in your suffering. Why is that? It's because the eyes of the Lord are always on the righteous. One of the things that J.C. Ryle teaches that you should teach your boys especially is that God always is watching. He's always watching. But now we see two ways he's watching. His face is set against those who do evil. He's watching them with a face set against them. But to those who are walking before the Lord and trusting their souls to a faithful creator and doing what is right, his eye is ever upon them. There is never a time where you're outside of the eye of God. And he will accomplish his will. He will accomplish that will. He's, and his will is a powerful one. His will is that he evangelize the world through it. You know, this is kind of the, the famous evangelism passage, right? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. But notice this passage, this is, that's taken a little out of context. It is true that we should always be ready to speak to everybody, but what is this passage talking about? It's talking about those who are slandering you because you're doing something that is countercultural, because you're doing something that they call wicked and they slander you in it. And now what are they doing? They are demanding that you make a defense and that you give an account. You have to give a defense because they want you to give an account for why you have this hope. Because what we have to do now is to take this as husbands and wives and live it out there. If you actually live it out there, what will happen if you in your play group somewhere talk about how you're submitting to your husband, that's gonna go over like a lead balloon, right? That is not something that is going to be a great evangelism tool. Well, actually it is, right? That's the point. That is his point here, that as you do these things, you're gonna be so whacked that everybody is gonna say, I don't get it, this doesn't make any sense. You evidently have some completely other hope because my hope is here in this world and this is the way I accomplish the things that I wanna accomplish here in the world. So give an account for this because you're living a whole different life and that life is set on a hope because that's the only thing that drives us to do any of this. Right? All this stuff is totally meaningless if you don't actually have a hope in an inheritance. The hope that we have in the inheritance is why we do what we do now and we can give an account for it whenever those who slander us saying that we're idiots for what we're doing, we can give a defense because we have a hope and that hope is Jesus Christ. He's the one who will accomplish everything that, um, that he will accomplish. And the way that he does it is in ways that require faith. For it is better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Now, do you believe that? Is it better? Is it better for you to suffer for doing what is right do you believe that? 
It is a good thing, right? It is a good thing to do what is right. Because Jesus Christ himself, he also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. He made a sacrifice out of what? Out of love, out of love for us, out of love for his father. He accomplished everything he was sent to do because he was willing to suffer. He entrusted his soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. He suffered as the unjust, as just for the unjust. And so how much more for us who follow in his footsteps? We also are to suffer unjust injustices. And in doing so, we can bring those to, we can bring people to God. And he's done this so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death, but made alive in the spirit. And you'll notice the reason that I stopped here is because the next uh, paragraph has two of the most difficult uh, uh, sections of scripture that you'll ever encounter. So I'm going to put those off till next week. And uh, we'll just stop here for today. Okay. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that in your uh, goodness to us, you show us um, where we lack faith, the places we don't even see it because we think we understand. But um, you have shown us where we lack faith. Help us to be able to walk as aliens and strangers in this world, doing what is right, uh, doing what is right in light of the hope that we have, knowing that your eye is always on those who do what is right uh, and that you hear our prayers. Lord, we pray that this week uh, you would give us wisdom, help us to be able to talk to our husbands and wives about what it means um, to, to live in a godly way. Um, please give us openness and uh, willing hearts to follow through with it. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.